Okay, good morning everybody. Can everybody hear me first of all? Yes. Am I coming out to speakers as well? It's all good, is it? Yes. Okay. Um, thank you very much for coming out on a busy morning. Uh, you've taken the first step, first important step you all need to do, which is actually get out of bed and uh, take some action, so well done. Um, my name is Jonathan Gibbs. I am taking the first of two creative writing workshops this morning. Uh, the second is with Shelley Tyler's work. She'll be along in an hour and a half. So this is an hour and a quarter session. Um, my plan is to talk a bit, get a little bit of stuff back from you, and do some writing exercises, which I'll be joining in as well. So anyone who's on the podcast, and uh, every year a large number of people who listen to the podcast will have lots of empty space and just sort of props and nothing, but hopefully they'll be writing as well, so that's all good. Um, I think this is the third or the fourth year that I've done a creative writing workshop here, and during that time I've finished uh, an MA in creative writing. I've started to get a couple of short stories published here and there. Between last year's festival, this year's festival, I did have my debut novel published. So I've been doing a bit more of talks about that, and people, you know, same, some of the questions that come out are, you know, the standard ones, how do you plan, where do you get your ideas from, that kind of thing. But as I've talked about my book, I've been thinking about, you know, what, thinking back to the very beginning of the process of writing it, you know, why did I do it at all? And when I saw that the overall theme for this year's festival was foundations, I thought that I would take that as my sort of theme for the writing workshop this morning, which is to look at the reasons why we write and think about how when we address that question, it might help us um, focus a bit more on getting the best kind of writing done. Shelley's in a brilliant sort of one-two thing. Shelley's one is very much a sort of, well, the title of it is Get It Done. We'll get it down, I remember. So this one might be a little bit more introspective. Her one, hopefully, is going to kick you out on a, uh, on a buzz of adrenaline uh, and advice and thoughts about how to actually put it all into practice. Um, so, very first thing we're going to do is I want you all to get a pad and pen or tablet or whatever you have with you and just jot down to yourself some answers to the question, why do I write? Um, and that's, why do I write? But also, what it should, the, the sort of second question that should be just under that is, why did I ever want to write? So, I'm going to leave you a few minutes, three or four minutes to jot that down. Now I'm going to ask you to shout some of them out, then we're done. <coughs> Why do I write, and what made me want to become a writer? What jogged me into wanting to write? Okay. I've got some ideas. I want to see if they match up with everybody else's. So, who can start us off with some answers to why I write? To communicate. To communicate. What else? To entertain. To entertain. What else? <coughs> to make sense of things. To make sense of things. To make sense, to make yeah. Make sense of ideas. Yeah. 
else? To share. To share, yeah. What else? To protest. Sorry? To protest. To protest. And there was another one. Compulsion. Compulsion, yeah. What else? Identity. <laughs> Identity. Identity, yeah. To give me a verb. To identify me. Yes. So to, to we say explore self-identity. Does that sound about right? Yeah. And to capture moments. What else? Yeah. The fear of writing. Yes. Very good. Very, very recursive answer. Yeah. Why? Why stand on one leg for an hour at a time in order to overcome the fear of standing on one leg? Uh, to overcome fear of writing. To create. Yeah. To have an audience. So to reach. Can we say reach an audience? An audience to create. Therapeutic. Yeah. What else? To make some money. Make some money. <laughs> what else? Because I can. Yes. <laughs> Why stand on one leg for an hour? Because I can. <laughs> To reflect, yeah. Because I enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. Enjoyment. What else? To make people laugh or cry. <coughs> yeah. So to <coughs> going to say, make laugh, make people laugh or cry. Any others? Stop my head from exploding. <laughs> <laughs> Sanity. <laughs> what else? To reciprocate. Yeah. Re reciprocate. You've been entertained, what to? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Reciprocate. I'm going to have to change. You've come up with so many ideas, guys, we've actually run out of pen. Reciprocate. And there was another one. Does yeah. Just like to really capture, to explore the imagination of the power. Yeah. Yeah. So to explore, imagine the sheer joy of exploring your imagination. Any others? Isn't that brilliant? Right. I'm going to um, take a photo of that. <laughs> Always. I always do this when I have sort of student sessions. People come up with ideas because then you can, you know, you just put it up on the, the you know, hopefully they'll be able to put this up on their web here. But it's sort of, uh, you know, you might not jot it all down. And if it's up on the website, then you can come back and look at it again. Um, that's amazing. I mean, that's more ideas than I've got. Um, hopefully, some of you will recognise some of those, um, even if you didn't think of them yourselves. And hopefully, <coughs> we'll have a number of them on your. Um, on your own notepad. You might notice I've done them in two columns, and that's because when I was thinking about this, I thought, I thought that um, 
as I've jotted ideas down, they tended to come down to inward reasons for writing and external reasons for writing. So, because I can, the sheer enjoyment of creation to make sense of things, for sanity to stop your head exploding, the sheer compulsion to reflect on things, to explore self-identity and the imagination, capture moments, overcome the fear of writing, and the therapeutic effect are, are all reasons that are centred inwards to you. And um, really makes no difference who reads anything that you write. Um, and the ones on the right, to communicate something, to entertain people, to reciprocate, um, and sort of to give something back after you've got so much out of reading, uh, to share your ideas, to protest against things and to make a statement, to reach out to an audience, to make money, and to make people laugh or cry, are all things that presuppose another reader. Um, and, you know, you might look at the list that you wrote for yourself, and you might look at it and think, that's interesting, I've got more of those ones, or you might look at it and think, that's interesting, I've got more of those ones, or you might have a balance. Uh, and obviously, they're all valid reasons. I think it's interesting that there are more on the left, a few more on the left than the right, not significantly so, but if you find yourself with a lot more on one side or a lot more on the other, that might give you a bit of a sense of <coughs> what it is that you are writing for and what you, your real reasons for doing so. So, uh, I mean, the stuff that I came up with, replicate the joy and intensity of reading, understand something about yourself, something about the world, emulate your favourite writer, the sheer thrill of creation and entertaining yourself are all things that have been said there in uh, some way or other. And the outward reasons, get rich and famous, <laughs> obviously. Express, express or share something about yourself, express or share something about the world, impose your ideas on others, which is yeah, sort of slightly over the top way of the sort of reciprocate one or the share one. And contribute to the cultural, to the cultural conversations you see it, get your sense of the world out there among everyone else's, uh, and impress your others and make yourself more interesting to get laid up. Obviously, pop <laughs> musicians, writers, all of them, that's, the, that's part of the way you do it. I mean, inward and outward, you, you write in the first instance for yourself, then in the second instance you do want to be read. And why, what is it about the human ego that makes you think that what you write is of any interest to anybody else? Well, the moment you've made that decision, you've made a very big statement about yourself, which is that I actually do think that what I write is of interest to other people. So if that is on your list, underline it and you know, be aware that you've already made that step of saying, okay, this isn't just uh, for my own good uh, and sanity that I'm doing it and my own entertainment, I'm doing it for other people as well. Um, I mean, I, I've no idea if I feel all these things at any particular time to any huge degree, but I think the ones, the one, the thing that, that's looking at the list does occur to me is that some of these are the, some of these are about the original impulse of writing, and some of them are about the, the desire to continue writing and to make it good. So, you know, emulate your favourite writer, trying to recreate that sense that the thrill of reading that you got when you first um, got captured by the world of reading might be something that started out. But you know, that may then develop onto other things. Um, we're going to do an extended writing exercise now. I'm going to give you sort of prompts and then we're going to develop it over about half an hour. That I 
sort of invented to sort of take this idea onwards of looking at the reasons why you write and how our impulse to write comes out of the joy of reading. So what we're going to do to start with is we're going to, I'm going to ask you to imagine yourself as you were when you first really got the reading bug. And for the sake of argument, I've um, decided that is, well, for myself, that was as I was a child, it doesn't have to have been as you were a child, but if it was write about yourself as a child, if it wasn't as a child, if it was an adult, then write as yourself uh, as an adult. So, this is going to develop in the first five minutes. Picture yourself as a child reading. Describe what you're reading and your reaction to it, and write in the first person. So, I am sitting uh, in the garden, I am lying in bed, I am you know, halfway up a tree or wherever it is. Um, immerse yourself in the reading. This is partly a getting going writing exercise. So write intuitively and um, hopefully in a kind of haze of remembrance rather than trying to edit yourself as you go along. Alright, so let's do, let's do that. I'm going to sit down and do that as well. Let's do that for five minutes. Right, I'm stop. There we go. Five minutes is up. Annoying me, I'm just getting going, so I hope you're all in the same situation. Annoyed that we're, uh, you're being stopped in your reverie and you're writing and moving on to the next thing. For the next five minutes, we're going to stay with that child, but I want you to start turning that reading child or person that was yourself into a character. So describe yourself as that child from the point of view of someone who has seen you reading. Uh, and knows you, a parent, a relative, a family friend, uh, someone who stumbled you on you wherever you were when you were reading, wherever, whenever, in that moment that you were caught in the world of reading. And now, right in the third person, observe the child, tell the reader what you know about that person from the outside, about what they're like as they read, and about what that activity of reading makes them like. So, another five minutes, keep going. Okay. The next part, you get a little bit longer to write. You invented a character. But based on you, what the characters are. Now we're going to take that character and grow them up into an adult, if they weren't already. Um, that character, that not quite you, is now a grown-up. Um, and I've invented a situation for you to put them in, which is that they are on a cruise liner, lucky them. Um, Transatlantic, Mediterranean, Caribbean, the fjords, wherever you feel like you would like to travel. It's my treat to you this morning. Um, and the setting for this scene that we're going to write for 10 minutes is the casino in the cruise liner. It's quite a posh cruise liner. Um, and so for 10 minutes, I want you to establish the scene of your character entering, going into the casino. Um, I've just put some of the things that you can, anyone is completely stuck for ideas. There's roulette, it's quite an easy one. I mean, I don't know the rules of Baccarat, but people play that. Flapjack is what we call 21 or pontoon. Those are all things that are played. The pack doesn't have to play anything in the, in the um, 
in the casino, but you know, the reasons why we put them on a transatlantic liner hopefully are quite obvious. The reasons why we put them in a casino obviously are hopefully <coughs> quite obvious in that they put a certain set of possibilities into play, but still it's all very much up to you. So this is 10 minutes now. Your character is now grown up and they are on a cruise. So the first two were kind of just getting yourself going. Now you're writing something that we're going to do. You're sort of starting from scratch again this time, but we'll develop it as we, as we go along. Ten minutes on this. Okay. I'm going to continue. This, I'm going to ask you to continue the scene now. Your character A stops playing what they were playing. If they were playing anything, they go to the bar to get a drink. If they haven't, if they've already got a drink then they've got a drinking problem because they're going back to the bar. <laughs> um, and while they're there, a second character. Now, obviously, you might have introduced other characters yourself, but if you haven't, this is the chance to introduce another character who comes up to them and starts a conversation. Maybe they're already at the bar, they too have a drinking problem, or maybe they offer, come up, follow them up and offer to buy them a drink. Um, and five minutes now, you have to develop some dialogue to get this scene moving, because otherwise... If it hasn't started already, then characters do have a tendency to wander around and around and around, observing the world wonderfully without anything ever happening. So, five minutes. All right, keep writing. As they discuss, as they carry on their conversation, the new character discloses that she or he is ill, as in very ill. Um, how you integrate this is entirely up to you. Perhaps it was obvious, perhaps the information gave the answer to a question, perhaps it was dropped into the conversation or disclosed in some other way. Consider how this information might change the dialogue, change the scene, continue writing, and see how far you can push this situation. I'll probably leave it a bit more than five minutes, that seems slightly, um, slightly harsh. Supposed to be a kind of exercise based on the idea of the reasons for writing that are inwards directed, that are looking inwards. I mean, it's a bit of a leap to get from uh, writing about you as a child reading to decide that character and prompting them in a, in a you know an arbitrary situation. Um, but hopefully that would have uh, given you an idea of a way of uh, reconnecting with what that original reason was, and at the very least, you would all have that buzz of huge numbers of words down on paper, which always feels good. They aren't the right words, but they're words, so that's a good start. Um, now, I'm going to talk a little bit now, we're going to have another exercise that's more about the looking outward part of why we write. So all the communicating, sharing, reaching an audience, and making lots of money. As, after I come up with this idea, but as I was preparing the... Um, after I'd come up with the title, but before I was preparing it, I read this novel, which came out quite recently by an American writer called Ben Lerner, called 1004. Um, and in that, he talks about, he actually is giving a talk to a group of students about why he wanted to become a writer. And he talked about the moment when he realised that he wanted to be a writer. It's a very heavily ironic book. It's got lots of irony in it. So this is... Uh, first thing on Saturday morning might seem slightly outré or in your face, 
But he says that the moment he realised what he was <coughs> doing and how they had was in 1984 when the Challenger shuttle disaster happened. Uh, and he talks about his memory of seeing it live on television as a schoolboy um, and, and all his other friends were there too. And of course it wasn't very few people saw it live. Um, but everybody remembers seeing it live, everybody of that generation, I'm pretty much of that generation too. Um, but what he then talks about is the speech that Ronald Reagan gave. And uh, he says, this is the last little bit of, of that speech, we will never forget them, nor the last time we saw them this morning, as they prepared for the journey and waved goodbye and slipped the surly bonds of earth to touch the face of God. And he talks about feeling that as a real punch in the, in the solar plexus and feeling incredibly moved by that, by that speech. Um, and he then goes on to say that as an adult, he, looked, he invested, he uh, researched that speech and found out those quotes from a poem written by a young pilot who died, uh, who was in the Canadian Air Force, and uh, had written this poem that was collected in an anthology uh, and had died very young in his 20s. And more, as he researched, he realised the poem was plagiarised. Um, he'd, he'd nicked those lines from other poems written by uh, writers who would also be um, pilots. So he, he talked in very interesting ironical ways about how the actual words don't matter. Ronald Reagan was reading a speech written by a speechwriter who was quoting a poem that was already plagiarised, but still it hit him there. And then the other thing he talked about in The Challenger is the, um, the jokes that went round, uh, the Challenger jokes, and it's a, it's a permanent thing, I'm sure you may have done this, I did this, my kids probably do it for, for the things that happen in their lives. What were Christopher McAuliffe's last words to her husband? You feed the kids, I'll feed the fish. What does NASA stand for? Need another seven astronauts. How do they know what shampoo Christopher McAuliffe, she was the teacher that died in the explosion? They found a head and shoulders. And as he says in the next bit, you're not supposed to find it funny. They aren't funny jokes. But as a kid, they allowed him to, it was a, it was a sort of, Thing that everyone suddenly started doing, and everyone started creating and joining in this little um, this little game of passing around these jokes, which the parents didn't know about. I don't know jokes that my parents do, but it allows you into a social circle where the create where the use of words becomes a game that you that you can part you can join in and partake in. And as an adult, he says he's researched this, and there's a sort of there is a sort of folklore research into the structure of jokes and these joke cycles that come back again and again and again. Um, and so then, again, they're not original, they're just a way of interacting with the world. So he says, I make no claims for high flights of poem, in fact, it's a terrible poem, and Ronald Reagan I consider a mass murderer. I don't see anything formally interesting about the Challenger jokes. They weren't funny even at the time. But I wonder if you can think of them as, this is quite complex, bad forms of collectivity that can serve as figures of its real possibility. So even, they were what grabbed him, and now as an adult he looks back and realises that it's a rubbish poem and then horrible jokes, but that was the point at which he realised words could affect on him, could have a big effect on him, and he could also use words to join into the social, uh, the social circle with his peers. Um, Prosody grammar is the stuff out of which we build the social world, a way of organising <coughs> meaning and time that belongs to nobody in particular, but courses through us all. Um, I found that quite interesting and powerful uh, when I read it, and it made me think about um, my reasons for writing and the reaching out and the connecting that I wanted to do when I wrote my book, which is about the 
art world, the young British artists. And um, more in talking about it afterwards than realising at the time, I came across the realisation that what I was really after in writing about the artists was answering the question that was subconsciously bubbling away in my mind whenever I was in an art gallery, which is, what the hell am I doing here? Um, why are we all here in Take More than looking at all this stuff? Uh, and I developed various answers about that, which I'm, I'm not going to bore you with now. But the book that I'm working on now is about pop music. And again, I, it's a realisation that I want to get at the, the feeling I get when I'm listening on my iPod and a particular two first bars of a song comes on and I feel a, a sort of my heartbeat rise or I feel a response to the song that's happening before I even know why it is. So it's in, what I'm going to ask you to do now is to try and think about the things that you consider are the best ways of connecting with the readers out there. Because if you're going to write good stuff that reaches out that doesn't just do these things, explore your own thoughts, uh, you know, entertain yourself, explore your imagination, therapy, sanity, all those things. If you're going to reach out and actually find things that connect with other people, they're probably going to be based on the things that you have those intense feelings about. Oops, I've killed it. There we go. So, what I want you to do now in five minutes, I know I'm, I was hopefully going to have questions here, I'll see if there's time. Five or ten minutes. Write a dating profile for yourself as a writer in which you list your interests or your fascinations. So think of six things that if you were going to write something that really reached out and spoke to people at, at a level of engagement beyond the simply just, oh, she's written a really good character or there's a, there's a really good plot. What would those things be? So if in your dating profile you would say, I love pets, I love dogs or cats, try and think about what it is about pets or animals that actually deeply engages you as a human being. And if you would say in a dating profile, I like going to films, or I like hill walking, or I like cooking, try and analyse briefly now what it is about those activities that particularly shines a light on your personality. Let's do five minutes of that, and then we've got about 15 minutes left, so if we do five minutes of that, then I'll wrap up, and then if, if people have questions, I will take some questions at the end. Okay. Uh, I hope that's been useful, interesting, or diverting. Um, I know that Shelley is going to be doing the, the session. Uh, basically, what I finished in about five minutes, um, and then there's a 15 minute break, and then there's Shelley's session. I know that she, in her um, spiel here online, she says bring pen, pad, computers, and questions. So I know that from last year, I remember she's very good at responding to stuff. But I, if anyone has any questions at the moment, then um, shout them out, and we'll use the last few minutes for that. So, anyone have any questions or thoughts or complaints or Yes. How much do you think you should try and control what you're writing? In the casino thing, I got completely off topic. Didn't do hard things to <laughs> but suddenly I had this character that I thought was quite interesting, and it was yeah. something like the grown-up version of a child, and it yeah. completely, yeah. Yeah. Hands up everyone who thinks that is bad. 
that she should have been more in control. <laughs> No, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, there's different, there are different stages. If anyone actually is sitting here looking at what they've written going, my God, this is Booker Prize winning. Then yeah, <laughs> good for you. For the, for the rest of us, the, the hard part, the hard part is, is giving yourself the impulse to create, which, you know, hopefully some of you will have not been sitting there going, my God, this is trash. Um, you know, the hard part is creating. The other hard part is making it good. So, um, you know, what you should do now is uh, obviously stay for Shelley's, but then go off and find a cafe and carry on writing, 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 writing without any sense of control at all. Uh, and then uh, do the control bit later. At length. Yes. Right. Um, one of the things you mentioned um, was... Uh, copying or emulating yeah. the writers, and I was just wondering, in in your writing, are there are, are there writers that you feel you felt when you're finding your own voice and your own style that you you felt absolutely sort of enamoured and what maybe even you know, mildly obsessed with, and, and how did you? Um, not saying that right, um, but how, how did you work with that and find your own style, your own voice when there was perhaps other writers that you felt really kind of yeah, I mean, absolutely, there, there, there were writers. I mean, the thing is, the thing is, I think the ones that really influence you, you don't even realise it's happening. Um, I mean, the writer that I love most of all is Jeff Dyer. Um, I don't know if anyone's read him. He's one of my favourite living writers. And when I, uh, I'd written my book, it was sort of, I think it was being edited or something, and then I, was, I went to a conference where I did some stuff on Jeff Dyer, and I reread a couple of his old books. I hadn't read for like 15 years and realised I completely ripped them off. It's like, you know, the, all the characters, all the sort of insights, it was all just, it was like I'd just copied and pasted, but I copied and pasted it from somewhere quite deep um, where it had sort of mutated a bit. Um, and then I've noticed that, you know, he, then I, one of his favourite books, I read a, a book of some that he, that he has said he loves, and I looked at that and thought, you've ripped that off from something wrong. So it happens a lot. I think, I do think that as you're writing, it's very, it's very natural for me anyway, that every single book I read, I feel, oh God, oh wow, I could use this. And I think that that's very useful. They, the book that you're reading, you sort of layer it over and you use it as a kind of projection um, in front of or behind yours and think, well, I could, I could do that or something a bit like that. Of course, by the time you actually sit down and do it, you try and copy something, it will come out wrong. And you know, it's, this is how pop music works. People write great songs by trying to write something, trying to, trying to copy something and failing and coming up with something original. So uh, it's not something I'm scared of at all. I think it's a natural part of the process. Any other questions? Yes, hi. There. Did you ever have a fear of um, people reading your writing? And if so, how did you overcome that? Uh, yes, I had a huge fear. Um, that's what um, that's kind of why I did a creative writing MA. Um, it's because I, I was writing a novel um, in my evenings, in my spare time, and um, no one was seeing it. Um, and I did two things at the same time. I sent it off to a, a writing uh, the literary consultancy, you know, someone will read it and you pay them money and they give you a report on it. And I applied to do an MA at the same time. And um, the, both of them were positive experiences and I got onto the MA and 
processed, and that's kind of how I got here. And very possibly, if I hadn't done that, I'd still be sitting in my room writing. But that doesn't mean you have to do a creative writing MA in order to get there. Um, there are, you know, I think writing groups. And in fact, that's, that's one of the one other thing I did which worked really well is I had a friend. Uh, you know, this is about 15 years ago now. And we both realised we were writing novels and no one else had read them. And so we did a thing where we met for lunch once a month and gave each other a chapter and had a really nice lunch in town and sort of gave each other feedback on that. And that was really good as well. So yeah, fear can be crippling, but there are all sorts of ways to overcome it. Um, and you know, the moment I sat down in the, M in the MA and looked at the people around the table and we started talking, I knew that I was in a really good, healthy environment. But there are plenty of other environments that will, that will give that as well. Are there hands up here if you've joined a creative writing group or circle or workshop? Yeah, hands, hands, keep, keep your hands up. And hands up if those are part of a sort of official um, education thing like a, an MA. So a couple go down, but other people do ones where it's just kind of like, uh, you know, it's, it's, they set up like book groups, you know, people just set them up and, and join them. And all you need is to overcome that, that fear. Great. Any other questions? Yes, hi there. Um, do you think, and I have done a creative writing MA as well, yeah. um, do you think that there's a positive or negative or any specific at all effect of um, lots of people coming out of these MAs and producing novels? Um, there is some debate around yeah. that. I just wonder what you think. That's very difficult. And it's very difficult partly because I'm sort of inside the system as well. You know, I'm, I've taught undergraduates now as well. And it does, it does seem, it's very easy to look from the outside and look to seem that it looks like a sort of pyramid selling scheme. Um, I mean, the two issues are, is it, is it a pyramid selling scheme? Is it just tying up book publishing into this kind of structure? The other thing is, is it damaging the writing? Is all the writing uh, becoming more and more the same? Um, both of those are certainly a worry. Um, possibly it's true. I don't know. I mean, it's, the problem is it's also bound up in a publishing situation where everything is completely um, in a state of massive flux slash chaos slash disaster slash is another dead. No, it's not dead. Everything's fine. Everything's terrible. It's difficult to, you know, it is the MA writing structure damaging, turning all novels into the same kind of thing? Well, it's impossible to, to, to split that off from is the fact that publishing is having a hard time and is desperate to try and replicate successes. Is that a problem as well? But certainly there are lots of people that are coming out of creative writing courses that are producing great stuff, and there are plenty of people that go on them and come out and don't publish. So um, it's, it's not a sort of straight down the line, cut or dry thing. Um, that's an hour and 15. That's my book which I believe is on sale upstairs. Um, so come and say hello to me now if you've got any other questions. I'm going to stay here for Shelley's one, and I will be upstairs if anybody does want to buy it and get a name in it, then um, come and find me afterwards. Otherwise, thank you all very much. Go off and get coffee. And we'll see you back here in 15 minutes for... Just get on with it. <laughs> Shelley's